I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nine Cents. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's been a hell of a week. Apparently no one told Mother Nature that it's spring. We just got a fresh new layer of snow last night. Uh, thankfully most of the sun melted it off, but just waking up in this time of the year and seeing fresh snow and white-capped mountains is a little discerning. Um, we like to hike a lot, so, and can't just generally be outside of our house. We can't do that when there's new fucking snow covering the mountains. Um, but soon, hopefully, that'll be all behind us and our regular outdoor activities may commence. I have a pretty good show for you today. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to be talking about the history of the Sigil of Baphomet. So for all of you who have thought the symbol with the circles and the star and the goat has always been associated with Satanism proper, um, I'm about to educate you because it hasn't been so. So that's what we're going to be talking about in The Devil's Advocate. In uh, Infernal Informant, we're going to be talking about Florida government preventing felons from being able to vote after they've been released. And uh, is there a connection between religion and overweight individuals? Some think there is, and there's a study here that I'm going to bring to you uh, that highlights just that. And in Creature Feature today, I'm going to be talking about Justified, the FX television series. Uh, it, it's relatively new, incredibly good, and uh, I'm going to highlight that. In Bizarre the Bizarre, I'm going to be talking about crop dusting, and I'll go into a little bit more detail. So without further ado, let's go ahead and move into The Devil's Advocate. Alright, so the history of the Sigil of Baphomet. This can be found on the Church of Satan website under History, and it's literally the first bulleted letter there. A. The symbol of Baphomet. Um, actually, it, it's important to note that the Church of Satan refers to it as the sigil of Baphomet, uh, as is a copyrighted and registered version. Um, and I'll get into all of that here shortly. So, uh, you know, let's just talk about common misconceptions. So, growing up as a young man, um, I had often seen the the sigil of Baphomet and just automatically associated it with everything that was evil in the world. Um, and certainly Satanism and devil worshippers and um, 
just, you know, evil individuals generically. Um, and that was because of uh, sort of the satanic panic era in which I was raised. Um, that symbol was touted uh, and connected to every bad act, and every religion used it as sort of uh, the ultimate bad guy image of Satan. So, you know, you could say Satan, the name, and, and refer to acts that would be um, considered his realm of behavior, but the images associated with it have always been kind of silly um, and dated. Uh, so with this one symbol, the sigil of Baphomet, they could hold up and show you this is what it is. This is what is bad. And it, it speaks to something a little bit larger, I'd, I'd like to think anyway, the symbol itself without knowing its actual history, without knowing its true connection, still evokes such raw power and raw reaction from the viewers. So some people are going to look at this, and whether they even know what it is or not, they just recognize wickedness or evil within it. I mean, you just can't get that with something like fucking Nike. You know, brands nowadays that are so popular and, and use so much, they just um, they don't have the same impact. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that they ever could, nor would I, I'm sure, would ever want. Uh, I'd like to give a quick shout out to uh, Nomad 1134. Thanks for joining, man. I'm glad you could make it. Um, we're talking about the history of the Sigil of Baphomet, and so, like I do every week, let me preface um, the Devil's Advocate segment by saying that though I am a member of the Church of Satan, I am a Satanist, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. This is information that I'm going to summarize that is available verbatim um, on the Church of Satan website. Um, so I suggest if you want a more detailed account to go there and read it for yourself. Um, so let's talk about first the origins of the pentagram. Where was it first um, described or seen? Um, the first known origin talking about um, pentagrams <laughs> is, is in fact not Slayer Nomad. Uh, it's actually Eliphas Levy's Dogma de Rituel de la Hoita Magic, a, a, a book written in 1855. Um, and there's a section that I'm going to read here called uh, Chapter 5, The Blazing Pentagram. The pentagram, which in Gnostic schools is called the Blazing Star, is a sign of intellectual omnipotence and autocracy. It is a star of the Magi. It is a sign of the Word made flesh, and, according to the direction of its points, this absolute magical symbol represents order or confusion, the divine lamb of Ormuz and St. John, or the accursed goat of Mendez. It is initiation or profanation. It is Lucifer or Vesper, the star of morning or evening. It is Mary or Lilith, victory or death, day or night. The pentagram, with two points in the ascendant, represents Satan as the goat of the Sabbath. When one point is in the ascendant, it is the sign of the Savior. By placing it in such a manner that two of its points are in ascendant and one is below, we may see the horns, ears, and beard of the hierarchic Goat of Mendez when it becomes the sign of infernal evocations. And so that's sort of the, the common symbol that you're going to see not only in my intro um, and on the Church of Satan website, um, but all sort of uh, evil people <laughs> that want to sort of you know, wear the bad guy badge, they're going to sort of uh, attribute this um, to the devil. And, and really, it speaks to sort of the, the opposite of 
the divine. So the devil has always sort of been the um, the antagonist, the counterculture to uh, the dominant uh, beliefs of the day, and and this is no separate or this is no different. Um, you know, the uh, pentacle or the upward facing star celebrating the high god or the one deity. Um, the pentagram uh, inverted obviously goes the opposite of that being all darkness and evil and um, everything fun. You know what I mean? Everything worth knowing. So that's just actually the pentagram itself, Origins. Um, and we actually don't even get images until uh, uh, much later, um, around 1897. And I'll get to that in a second, but first, you know, we talked about the, the origin of the pentagram. Let's talk about the origins of Baphomet. Which, I mean, this is the sigil of Baphomet after all. Who the hell is Baphomet? Uh, the first written reference to anything close to Baphomet is actually during the Inquisition. Um, the, the French King Philip IV, fearing the growing power the Knights Templar were gaining, and great wealth, um, instructed by the Pope himself, um, to hunt down and outlaw the Knights Templar organization proper. Um, so he collected up as many Templars as he could, um, tortured them, and uh, they confessed through this torture that they worshipped... <laughs> nice. Uh, that that uh, he would worship uh, Baphomet. And so a lot of people actually think that the, the word Baphomet is some sort of... Uh, um, in its original form, uh, a corrupt version of Muhammad. Um, some people uh, think it's just some completely made-up thing that the Inquisitors um, created as a justification to demonize the Knights Templar. Um, you know, it's, it's a real big sort of political um, problem in the first, uh, in the fourteenth uh, century where there's a sort of war between powers in the world, and, and the church, the Holy Roman Empire Church, was actually at the center of it all. So any group that would uh, sort of threaten that was demonized, and the Knights Templar um, was certainly one of them. Um, so that's the origins of the word Baphomet. Um, the, like I mentioned before, the image of Baphomet, as we know it today, um, in 1897 book, La Clef de la Magie Noire. Now, obviously, I don't speak French, and most of these novels are actually French in nature. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to do my best to uh, read them. But I speak American. I don't speak no, no French. So, uh, this might be uh, butchering the language a little bit. So, if you'll uh, excuse me preemptively. Okay, so uh, La Clef de la Magie Noire by French nobleman and occultist uh, Stanislas de Gueta. Gueta? I'm going to call it Gueta from here on out. Goya. Uh, may have been created by de Gueta's secretary and assistant, Oswald Wirth. So, in that book, um, La Clef de la Magie Noire, he sort of outlined the, the pentacle, and... and we, as a modern society, would recognize this imagery most in Leonardo da Vinci. I can't believe I, <laughs> I had such a blank on that. Okay, so Leonardo da Vinci's um, sort of man drawing, where it's a circle and uh, triangles, and the man is just sort of outstretched with his arms and legs down. Well, that's sort of the first image drawn in this book, referencing pentagrams. Um, and just below that was uh, uh, 
sort of the inverted with the goat's face attributed to Baphomet um, and written across it. Um, well, first, let me just give you the, um, the little quote here from, from the book itself, um, talking about pentagrams. But oriented in the opposite direction, the pentagrammatic star, which is nothing more than a symbol of iniquity, perdition, blasphemy, its two points in the air become the horns of a foul goat threatening heaven, and those head, and I'm sorry, whose head is framed with the stellar pentacle with its low ears in the side branches, and its beard in disorder in the single lower point. Uh, this is the beginning of what we today recognize as the symbol of Baphomet. Um, and we don't know whether or not um, De Gueda was actually the, the artist. We know he was the novel. We, we attribute Oswald Wirth, his secretary, as the artist, because later in life, Oswald would um, not only do a series of tarot cards, which is you know still in publication today, um, but he would write, um, and I'm really going to butcher this, in uh, 1931, Lefranc Maconnery Rendu Intelligible Assez Adeptus Duieme, this is terrible, Parti Le Compagnon. Um, you know, as a side note, let me just sort of separate from, from this little uh, subject for a minute. Don't you hate it when people read a foreign language and attribute what they think that accent sounds like, like I just did? Uh, they always said, like, I used to work in a coffee shop in, during college. And people would come in and, and see words like grande. And instead of just saying, I would like a grande whatever, they go, I would like a grande venti. And they just go off on this Latin-esque or Italian-esque accent. It's just so fucking aggravating. So I apologize for doing that to you right now. I, I, I just barely thought of that and how annoying it is. Uh, even though grande is much harder to see and say, I must say that with an accent, when you compare it to um, quoted uh, uh, texts, you know, I mean, written as if you should speak them that way. Anyway, let me get back to the subject here. So, uh, I, I'm actually going to continue to do this further volumes, just so you know, even though I pointed out how annoying it is. Um, duality of man. So, uh, <laughs> Oswald Worth uh, drew a lot of new variations to this um, symbol of Baphomet, uh, but he wasn't the only one. So after the, uh, you know, I'm not even going to go through the whole book, the De Guedes, uh volume, Paul Jagat's Science Occult et Magi Pratique, um, also did a version of it, um, let's see, The Handbook of Magic and Witchcraft, Charles W. Oliver. Uh, he did it similar to De Guedes, um, but he didn't include the circles around the goat's head. Um, and actually, the uh, uh, Paul Jagon's version was an open star. So rather than have the lines running through the star to draw it, it was just sort of this outline of the star with the goat um, nestled inside of that space. In 1931, um, Oswald Wirth wrote a book concerning Freemasonry, um, and that's where he included... Uh, the De Guida's version of um, the, the symbol of Baphomet, though it was much more stylized and much more um, akin to what uh, 
we would imagine it today and what we see it evolved into. Um, the unadulterated Degueda images reappeared in a book by Maurice Besse, A Pictorial History of Magic and the Supernatural. Um, the first English edition was in 1964. And this is actually the book that Anton LaVey would find. And on the cover of this book was um, on this black cloth imprinted white um, symbol of Baphomet. Um, and it was just a striking, beautiful um, artistic piece. Um, and it talked about. Well, you know, let me let me quote the book here. Pentagrams are the result of obscure numerological speculation. The five-pointed star, for example, seems to be characteristic of the Christian era, while the cross is a symbol, amongst others, of the figure five, four arms and the center. By a strange coincidence, the Holy Spirit in the United States and the USSR and Islam use a five-pointed star as their emblem. The opposition of good and evil is indicated through the inverted triangles. So. He saw this, Anton LaVey, and thought it would be um, an appropriate version, um, but he didn't really want to rip them off directly, and so he, even though it was in the public domain at that point, the art for the symbol of Baphomet, um, LaVey sort of adjusted a little bit. And I'm going to uh, read you a little paragraph here from the article on the Church of Satan uh, website about the history here. The pentagram, or pentalpha, comes from the um, Pythagorean tradition, the goat's or ram's head within it, refers to the goat of Mendes, a symbol of the Egyptian nadir Amun, who is called the Hidden One, he who abides in all things, the soul of all phenomena, and is thus the closest nadir to the dark force, which is seen to permeate and motivate all nature. The two concentric circles, which contain the word Leviathan, written in Hebrew, starting at the lowermost point and moving counterclockwise, stem from the traditions of the Ophite, or serpent, Jews. And this is the essence of the dragon of the abyss, descendant from Tiamat, sometimes symbolized as an Ouroboros, serpent biting its own tail, forming a circle. Thus, in one sigil, we find a confluence of several cultures approach to embody what we call Satan. Um, that's why he used it. Um, it seemed to uh, fit Satanism more than any other symbol could, certainly more than like just the standard inverted cross. And it was very obscure and very... Um, uh, original at the time, even though nowadays it's permeated all of satanic culture. Um, so what he did, uh, Anton LaVey, is sort of stylize it. He made it geometrically accurate, uh, not only the circles, but the star in and of itself. Um, and the uh, Hebrew around the star, uh, writing out the word Leviathan, uh, he sort of uh, made a little more aged-looking and a little more serpentesque. Um, to differentiate it specifically from the Degoida version. Um, and this is actually a symbol now, as, as I've mentioned already, that you can't think of Satan without imagining this. So it, it's really done his job in representing what he wanted it to. Gosh, I've got this like third eye on my forehead right now. It's just like fucking pimples, man. You think you're like old enough to get rid of this, and, you know, they just keep coming back. And I know this is completely off topic, I just actually looked at the image, and I look like, <laughs> if any of you out there have seen The Last Unicorn, this um, animation movie, um, there's a part where this unicorn gets turned into a girl, and she's going to find the other unicorn, so she's not the last unicorn, hence the name of the movie, Last Unicorn, um, and she just has this, like, red mark where her horn used to be. Well, that's me right now. I could be a fucking unicorn or some shit with this fucking mark. It's killing me. 
Um, <laughs> all right, I think that's going to be enough about this. Oh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to bring up another story about the go to Menendez or the go to Mendez here. When I was 18, my first tattoo ever was um, my clan, my Scottish clan symbol. So, like a family crest. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. Uh, so my family crest is on my shoulder. My second tattoo was the symbol of Vapman. You know, I, I long associated myself with Satanism at that point, so I figured why not have another um, very powerful symbol, not just my, my ancestral background, but my um, human background as well. So I, I got this um, tattooed on my lower back. I didn't think it was going to be an issue at all until uh, later I would try to join the United States Air Force. Um, I think it was 1997. Now, it might have been or, or late 96. Um, you go into the MET station, you take some tests and stuff, but uh, you have to do this physical exam. And so the doctor tells you to get naked and bend over because apparently uh, how your butthole looks is dependent on you getting into the Air Force or any military service. They have to have a clean ass or the right-shaped asshole. Uh, <laughs> you know, just checking your general health, I'm sure. But... He saw this tattoo on my lower back, and he went out and talked to some other people. And I'm standing there, birthday suit and all, and three other sergeants come in. I assume they're sergeants. I can't remember specifically rank at this point. Um, and they look at it, and one of them calls out, holy shit, you have the goat of Mendez on your back. So immediately, I'm making some sort of connection, like, oh, wow, you're saying this too. You might understand this. But then he's like, that's horrible. Why would you have that? And they actually took fucking pictures. Of my back and my tattoos. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> my balloon. Not, huh? um, they took pictures and sent them to Texas, where the uh, the Air Force sort of basic training was that I would have been sent to. They had the, the general of that ran, ran the operations down there look at the tattoos and reject me based solely on that fucking symbol of Batman. Um... A little shocking. Certainly was for me. Um, and it drove me fucking furiously mad because there was this Latin guy with a big-ass cross on his forearm that was going through the exact same time as I was and got accepted no problem. So it's all right to have a gigantic cross on your forearm, but a symbol of Ahmed on your back is somehow a bad thing. And you might have noticed that a couple times here I've talked about symbol of Baphomet. <laughs> yeah, you should know, man. <laughs> Bust his ass. Uh, I'm talking about symbol of Baphomet and sigil of Baphomet. So the symbol of Baphomet is the Degoya version. Um, the sigil of Baphomet is copyrighted and trademarked by Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan. It's their specific version that can't be used without um, um, without justification and, and um, written permission from the Church of Satan. Uh, and so obviously at the time, I just hand-drew the symbol of Baphomet and had a tattoo on my back, not knowing that there was any difference or real history to it, you know, at all. Um, so, you know, I guess that's kind of, uh, that's kind of all I'm going to talk about with the symbol of Baphomet. Uh, if you have any questions about this, or if you want to learn more, or get a, a, a probably much more uh, accurate and uh, detailed version, go to churchofsatan.com, just churchofsatan.com. Check out history section, and it's just right there. Um, every Satanist should know it, and every non-Satanist should be aware of it, at least in my opinion. So you can be educated. Education is important.
because after all, as another military reference here, um, even though it's not real, G.I. Joe would say, knowing it's half the battle. Let's go ahead and move into Infernal Informant. Lordy is of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the Infernal Informant. Infernal Informant. This is actually going to be a long show tonight. I don't mean it to be, but I didn't think it was going to take me that long to get through um, The Devil's Advocate, quite frankly. Um, I'm going to try to skim through some of this, though some of it evokes some powerful emotions from me. We're going to be talking about um, uh, NBC Miami article, Scott, Florida felons must earn civil rights. Cabinet votes to make felons wait five years before civil rights restored. Florida felons, and I'm quoting, debt to society won't be paid in full when they are released from prison. Now they'll have to wait at least an additional five years before they're full citizens, again after Governor Rick Scott and the Florida Cabinet adopted new clemency rules Wednesday. The unanimous vote ends the automatic restoration of voting and other civil rights to nonviolent felons once their sentences are up. So, you know, take note here, nonviolent felons. So, if you have a dime bag and you're arrested, and because of our ridiculous drug laws, you're thrown into fucking jail, you serve any, any time when you get out. You have to wait five years before you can vote again. Now, there's some obvious reasons for this, and it has nothing to do with the, the greater good of mankind or science. This has everything to do with politics. Um, if you're in jail, and, and you get out of jail, um, statistically, you're more inclined, and I don't know why, to vote um, a, a Democrat or a liberal, if you're going to vote at all. And Republicans, who are very much pro-death uh, penalty and pro-incarceration, um, uh, even though they claim to be, like, against big government, they want to have government moderate all of your activities, uh, you know, <laughs> they are very much on the side of uh, um, putting people away for ridiculous things versus not done. So, by stopping them from having the right to vote... <laughs> Uh, they're ensuring that they have that much larger of a chance to remain in power. And though that may sound a little bit um, conspiratorial, and it may in fact be, um, I, I believe uh, in any look into it is going to uh, sort of back my view there. Um, sitting as the Board of Executive Clemency, they voted 4-0 to zero to change the panel's rules. It only took four people to vote. Four people sitting on the panel to strip American citizens who have actually paid their debt to society of their rights. Four people. Holy fuck, is this American? Oh my gosh. So, um, the change is effective immediately and affects more than 100,000 felons. I quote, I believe that there should be a waiting period, and I believe someone should have to ask for their rights to be restored, end quote, Attorney General Pam Bondi. Wow, I mean, this is absolutely absurd. At what point in America did you have to ask to have rights? I was always 
under the assumption that we had that inherent right. Um, and to vote? That's at the top of the motherfucking list. Not in Florida anymore. Those convicted of violent crime may have to wait seven or more years. You know, and here's where my own hypocrisy cuts in here. If you're a murderer, you know, I, again, there's a lot of details here. Let, let's say you're a, a, a rapist or um, a, a murderer that just sort of, um, I don't know, did something that you actually didn't have to serve a life sentence on. I don't mind that you're not allowed to vote. You know, for me, as, as a, a law-abiding citizen, I don't see that as a, a big issue. But for non-violent criminals, what I just don't understand why voting has anything to do with <laughs> their behavior. It's just uh, a little bit crazy. But, you know, politically right now, there's a lot of little bit of crazy. Uh, you know, so that's kind of all I'm going to go into that one. Let's move on to the second article here. Faith and fat, religious youths more likely to be obese by midlife. Young believers at risk of growing into obese adults. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, okay, so this is an ABC News Health article uh, posted March 24. Uh, Americans who are religious are more likely to be happy, healthy, and hefty. <laughs> Shitty writing, dude. According to research from Northwestern University, youths of a healthy weight who frequently participate in religious activities were twice as likely to become obese by middle age than their less religious peers. Even when controlling for race, sex, education, and income, several factors that could independently be affecting likelihood of obesity, this effect remained. Uh, researchers drew data from the coronary artery risk development in young adults study, which tracked weight and a number of physical and behavioral variables, including religious involvement in more than 2,000 men and women over the past two decades. Quote, we had previously found that those with high religious involvement were more likely to be obese as middle-aged or older adults, but we wanted to follow people over time to make sure that people who are religious are more likely to become obese, not that people who weigh more are more likely to turn to religion said Matthew Feinstein, leader, lead author of the study and an MD candidate at Northwestern University. Uh, now, several studies, including some of Feinstein's past work, have found an association between high religious involvement and obesity, but there's never really been a, an association between religiosity and negative health outcomes. Um, in the current study, the more frequent participants attended religious services, the less likely they were to smoke or drink, but... Uh, the one vice they could not shake would be that burger and shake, apparently. Um, okay, so this is a study that was done largely in the Bible Belt area, and the Bible Belt area is known for a higher obesity risk than most of the country. So they admit that that may have a factor into it, though they did have people studied outside of the Bible Belt proper areas, all the way out to California. So that may be influencing the final results. Um, sort of one of the ideas they came here is uh, the social aspects of religion almost invariably involve food and feasting, uh, quoted by Dr. David Katz, director and founder of Yale University's Prevention Research Center. Uh, said Katz, another possible explanation 
is that religion encourages a focus on the afterlife and might thus detract a bit from focusing on health goals in this one. This is something that's been like a core to Satanism since its founding, um, since Anton LaVey even first started thinking about it. You know, you spend all your time thinking about what's going to happen when you die. You don't care about what happens in life. That's why you have all these crazy fucking evangelicals calling for the fucking end of the world. They want to return to their... And how is that any better or worse than any um, Islamic uh, fanatic who wants to kill himself to benefit the people that are going to still live on the earth, but then goes to a greater place for doing so? with harems of women or long-bearded men or whatever the fuck they want to do up there when they die. It's just absurd. It's in God's hands, so I'll just let come what may, is the attitude some take, uh, Dr. Katz says. Um, and this is just obvious. I mean, it's, it's an accepted reality of truly religious individuals. Um, it's uh, an absurd notion. and something I would never have even thought, though I have met my fair share of rather large religious people. Um, I didn't think there was any correlation with it. Um, and I'm still, I mean, obviously you can't equate religious teachings with a result in obesity. Just sort of the behaviors of uh, the culture that that religion is found in would be the primary, um, you know, factor in that. Um, the study may be, and here's how they close the article. Religion can be a tool we can use for those at risk of obesity. <laughs> nice. Uh, this study may be a wake-up call that we need to use religious ideas to convey health messages that mean something to people of faith. So <laughs> this guy um, is actually saying that uh, we should use religion as a tool. It's already being used as a fucking tool. But we can repurpose that tool. I mean, you can use a screwdriver to put in and out a screw, but you also can use a screwdriver to shimmy a lock, or hit someone over the head, or, or open a carton. You know, you, you can use tools for, for multiple purposes, and religion is one more. Uh, this study may be a wake-up call. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> to take your money is certainly the first and most. And this isn't to say that it's just the Christian religion, or it's just the uh, Judeo-Christian, or I'm sorry, the Judeo uh, uh, faith or Islamic faith. Uh, even Satanism is a religion. So anyone that, of course, we, uh, there are, of, of course, overweight Satanists. I'm, I'm not even saying that at all. Uh, what I'm saying is when you follow something that tells you not to do everything in life that equates to fun, and the only thing left is social eating, what do you think is going to happen? Seriously. Um, and breeding. <laughs> I mean, just having kids adds weight. Repeatedly having kids adds weight. Um, it, it is the rare gem of a woman that uh, has some kids, uh, multiple children, and uh, remains in good shape and is religious. Alright, so that's uh, that's it for the Infernal Informant. Fat and Faith and uh, Florida Felons. Uh, you guys are fucked. Let's go ahead and move on to Creature Feature. 
The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She waits in the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last is effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. I love Creature Feature. I love talking about kick-ass shows. And today is no exception. I'm talking about Justified. It's a TV series that premiered March 16th, last year, 2010. Uh, it's on FX channel. And the plot sort of centers around Deputy U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens. Uh, he's sort of this 19th century style, modern-day officer, and I'm actually reading from Wikipedia about this, um, who enforces his brand of justice with... Justice. Justice, which puts a target on his back with criminals and puts him at odds with his superiors in the U.S. Marshal's office. The framing of the show is absolutely nothing new, and, and it's not even very great in and of itself. The actors aren't even all that great, except for um, the, the lead character, uh, Raylan Givens, who is played by, by um, Timothy Oliphant, which you might uh, recognize from Deadwood, if you ever watched Deadwood, uh, Scream 2. Uh, Gone 60 Seconds, Live Free or Die Hard, The Crazies, uh, he was another sort of lawman in that. He's actually a lawman in virtually everything he plays. Um, he's a great actor, but what really sets this show apart from every other not only law show is that, one, it's set in Kentucky, and it has sort of this um, uh, down-home feel to the whole show. You know, everyone knows everyone, if not through a friend or a cousin, um, through reputation in sort of this uh, back country of Harlan, uh, Kentucky. Um, and uh, the writing. I mean, I can sit on the couch watching this show and just what I think that the character should say, eight times out of ten, they end up saying. Because it's just so natural to the the moment and the frame. It's not really forced dialogue at all. It's 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 actually really good. It's hard to describe. You're going to have to check it out for yourself. Uh, Justified. Oh, gosh. When is it on? I think it's on Tuesday nights. Uh, you should check your local listings. FX is the, the channel it's on. It's a kick-ass show that really brings attitude and good writing and, and sort of a serial feel to what could be a really crappy lawman show. Um, it, it's certainly worth it. And, you know, I, I may have made it sound like Timothy, uh, Timothy Oliphant was the only good actor on it. And, and that's not true. There's actually a, a lot of, there's cameos for a lot of actors. But um, there's also some really good um, sort of lesser known actors that have roles in it. Um, and one is Boyd Crowder, Walton, jo or Walton Goggins. I'm not familiar with any of his other work, though he's had been in a lot of other shows. Um, the Shield is probably what most other people are going to recognize him from. Um, but he's sort of uh, the bad guy in most of the first season. Um, and he's sort of the bad guy in the second season uh, so far. It's kind of hard to describe, but certainly check it out. And hey, if you have a chance, the theme song was nominated um, because it was so fucking good. Um, you should definitely check it out. It's a mix between hip-hop and uh, sort of this uh, folky, folksy Kentucky mountain music. 
it, it's really good. It's um, Gangsta Grass is the band. It's called Long, Long Hard Times to Come. It's very original. Um, and like I said, it was, it was nominated, so it's uh, fucking worth it, man. Anyway, check out the series. It's it's worth a look if you like those actors or if you just like that type of a movie or if you're just a fan of good dialogue. It's certainly worth it. Let's go ahead and move on into um, Bizarre the Bizarre with Crop Dusting. This is going to get into potty humor. So if you don't want to hear it, I suggest you leave. This is um, a pretty ridiculous topic, but it's something that I've affected other people with and been affected with. Uh, quite more often than I'd like, actually. Uh, so anyway, you know, let's stop talking about it. Let's just fucking talk about it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the bazaar of the bazaar. The bazaar of the bazaar. Today on the bazaar of the bazaar, we're going to be talking about crop dusting. Or walking into stench, or farting, and how-to guide. That's right. That's the type of crop dusting I'm talking about. So I was first. <laughs> URL removed. What the hell are you trying to put in the chat? Um, I was first introduced to crop dusting, um, the term, uh, in the army. I just figured you just walk into a fart before that. <laughs> I didn't know there was actual phrase for it, a title for it. Um, so, I guess this was like a popular thing in the unit I had moved into in uh, Kentucky, no less, Fort Knox. Um, I was stationed in a cavalry unit, uh, but we were a support battalion, and so what we did mainly was train officers in how to use um, tanks and communication systems in tanks, and sort of support them in their training, really. Um, so these guys, what they would like to do is go down into a tank, which is this really closed environment, and it's actually pretty tight. Whenever they need to work on something, bust some ass, get out there, and tell the officers to get in as fast as they can to commence training. The officers, <laughs> officers would invariably walk in there into a big cloud of ass, like pure funk. And there's like two distinct ways that you can deal with crop dusting, uh, or I'm sorry, that you can experience crop dusting. You can do it um, intentionally. Like, you start on one end of a movie aisle at a, um, oh, hold on, I'm, I'm checking out this link here. Oh, anyway, before I look at that, you start at one end of uh, an aisle, and you go to the other in any warehouse, store, or whatever, um, and people will just walk through, and you just stand back, arms folded, smiling, as if nothing's wrong, and watch their reactions as they take a big bite out of your ass. <laughs> and Or, there could be the accidental. Where you're, say, you're you're in the bathroom washing your hands or taking a leak or whatever, you rip one out and then you leave just as someone else walks in and they take a big bite of your ass. Uh, or <laughs> even better, and this is something a little personal to a nomad there, um, barbecues. Barbecues are the bane of my existence. <laughs> they are truly, if you want to conjure pure stench out of me. If you want to bring about what I would smell like dead, if you cut me open and put me inside out, if you squeeze my intestines and onto your face and just smeared it all around your nose, if you want to smell that, give me a couple barbecues. We went to, 
hiking in the first annual man campout. Second annual one's coming up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I had some barbecues on the way up, and I warned them, if I'm going to eat this, I'm warning you, it's going to be bad. So <laughs> it's raining really bad, and raining is a really light way of saying it. I mean, it was, you know, the wrath of God's fury onto us uh, as our heretical <laughs> bodies were hiking up and just cursing nature um, for shitting on us. Or in this case, it was like a fucking pissing on us. Um, lightning was flashing and blinding us. We finally set up our tent in this sort of, I would say, 45-degree angle of brush because there was nowhere else to put it in the complete darkness where we were. And it was completely closed in, this little tent. All the water was pushing any scent in, and I just let loose. I couldn't hold anymore, and it was just like hotboxing <laughs> this tent with ass. Um, well, thankfully, we all survived, though I think the two other people were <laughs> forever changed. By that experience, if they ever even remember it, it might have uh, literally wiped their memory clean. It was so bad, and that might be, you know, just my perception of it being worse than it actually was. But uh, I don't think so. I actually still have friends who have experienced the post RBQ <laughs> love, I guess you can say, and uh, it, it's fucking bad. It, it's legendary in its tales. Uh, so. <laughs> I, you know, that's all I'm going to talk about with crop dusting, walking, extension, farting in general. Um, though, try not to fart when you're getting a blowjob. Just saying. That might be another topic for <laughs> another Bizarre the Bizarre. When and how to deal with farting during sex. Because <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to crop up at some point in your life. And you're going to want to have my how-to guide three-step system. That's right. Three steps. Um, but there's a little teaser there. I'll let you know specifics later on. <laughs> uh, so that's it for this episode of Nine Cents. Thank you for joining me. If you want to contact um, Nine Cents me, um, you can always check out the Facebook page. Uh, just search Nine Cents. Uh, you can go to the website, NineCentsPodcast.com. Um, you can email me at info at NineCentsPodcast.com. If you got show ideas, if you have ep or um, ideas for bizarre, bizarre that you want to submit, I'll read them as if they're my own uh, to uh, protect any potential embarrassment. And um, if you have any just show ideas or just want to stop by and say hey, uh, you can download this podcast through iTunes, um, which I suggest you do. Uh, though it doesn't come out until generally Monday nights. If I'm really fast with the editing process, it can be uh, Monday mornings. Um, and if you want to learn about more, I'm sorry, if you want to learn more about the Church of Satan, go to churchofsatan.com. You can meet other Satanists at satannet.com, social networking site. Uh, you can hear more about Satanism uh, through online radio streaming or downloading other fantastic podcasts at radiofreesatan.com. So, for this week, I'm your host Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan.